A couple of weeks ago, we began a study of the Sabbath day and particularly of the idea that the first day of the week is the New Testament Sabbath. And in connection with that, we looked at uh, God's covenant with Noah and what God did with regard to the whole idea of rest in Noah. And we looked also at God's covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai and the various changes that God made to the Sabbath day in that covenant. What I want to do this time is look at God's covenant with Israel as given in Deuteronomy and God's covenant with David and then also the new covenant in our Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, then, the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a book of the covenant also. There's a book of the covenant in Exodus chapters 20 and following, but Deuteronomy is also a book of the covenant. Look at Deuteronomy 29 verse 1. These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab besides the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. So this is a second covenant, and it's separate from the covenant at Horeb. And it's a covenant which came 40 years later as Israel was preparing to enter the promised land. God, in the book of Deuteronomy, made certain changes to the whole idea of the Sabbath again. And there are three things especially that we can point to. First of all, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, God gave the law to Israel a second time. That's why Deuteronomy is called what it is. That means second law. God gave the law to Israel a second time, and that law is the same as the law he gave at, in, at Mount Horeb. It's the same Ten Commandments. But when you get to the uh, Sabbath commandment, the fourth commandment, you find that though the commandment remains the same, the reason for observing the commandment is different. God adds a new reason to, uh, for observing the Sabbath day this time. And that new reason is found in verse 15. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So God commanded them to keep the Sabbath, but he said, now here's a new reason for keeping the Sabbath, that I brought you out of Egypt. And that whole uh, work of redeeming Israel from Egypt is, of course, a type of God's redemption of his people from sin in our Lord Jesus Christ. Just as Israel therefore celebrated a Sabbath day to remember God's work of redemption for them, so we celebrate a Sabbath day to remember Christ's work of redemption for us. The second thing that we find in connection with the Sabbath day in Deuteronomy is that the land which God promised to Abraham begins now to be designated by God as the land of rest. You find that especially in Psalm 95, the last part of that psalm, verses 8 to 11. 
Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work. For forty years I was grieved with that generation, and said, It is a people who go astray in their hearts, and they do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And that has reference, of course, to the generation of the people of Israel that came out of Egypt and were so rebellious in the wilderness. God swore that none of those, that generation, except Joshua and Caleb, would enter the land of rest. They shall not enter my rest. And Hebrews chapters 3 and 4 also take this whole idea and apply it to us today. So that's the second change. The land of Canaan becomes the land of rest. That God has not just a house of rest where he lives among his people and where they can enter into his rest with him, but the whole land uh, is a land of rest for his people. So that's the second change. The third change is that in Deuteronomy chapter 12, God promised to his people that he would give them a central place of worship once they were established in the land. And he mentions rest again in connection with it. You shall not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. For as yet you have not come to the rest and the inheritance which the Lord your God is giving you. But when you cross over the Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all your enemies round about. Notice that new idea of rest there. It's rest from enemies now. Not just rest from work, not just rest from sin, but also rest from enemies, so that you dwell in safety. Then there will be the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. There you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, and all your choice offerings which you vow to the Lord. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levite who is within your gates, since he has no portion nor inheritance with you. That rejoicing before the Lord their God was Israel's rest. Israel coming to that permanent, now permanent place of rest to worship and to rejoice before God. So those are the three changes that we see to the Sabbath in Deuteronomy. We move on now to the covenant with David. Following the conquest of Canaan by Joshua and the armies of Israel under him, we find very quickly that the rest which God had brought his people into there in the land of Canaan was not perfect or complete. And it was not perfect or complete for two reasons. First of all, Joshua had not completed the conquest of all the nations who lived there in the land. In fact, before he died, he gave to Israel the command to finish the work which he had begun. 
There were enemies still to be conquered. And the second reason is that Israel had not conquered all the land that God had promised to Abraham. The land of rest itself was not fully under Israel's control. Now, Israel continued the work of Joshua to some extent during the period of the judges and into the reign of King Saul, but it was not until King David came to the throne that all of Israel's enemies were conquered and that the land reached the extent, the boundaries which God had mentioned to Abraham back in Genesis 15. So it was only under David that their rest from their enemies and the land of rest became complete. You read about this in 2 Samuel 7, verse 1, first. Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. And it's not just that David saw this now as a convenient time to begin work on a permanent house of God in the land of Canaan, but that there was an association in David's mind between rest from his enemies and the house of rest. He said, now that we have rest from all our enemies, it's time for God to have a permanent house of rest. And so he wanted to build the temple in the city of Jerusalem. Now God told David that he must not be the one, he would not be the one to build that temple. But David was right in the basic idea. God just said it has to wait for your son. Solomon, therefore, also speaks of this in 1 Kings 5, verse 4. When Solomon was preparing to build the house of God in Jerusalem, he said to King Hiram, from whom he hired laborers and from whom he purchased much of the material for the building of the temple, but now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor evil occurrence. And behold, I propose to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord spoke to my father David, saying, Your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, he shall build the house for my name. So it was Solomon who built that, built that new house of rest. But David, nevertheless, continued to make many preparations for that permanent house of rest. First of all, he brought the ark to Jerusalem. And we read about this in Psalm 132. That whole psalm is a celebration of the presence of the ark now among the people of God in the city of Jerusalem where David had established his throne. And notice what uh, the people of God say in that psalm. Let us go into his tabernacle and 
There's a reference to a tabernacle there, I think, because David set up a tent first in Jerusalem for the ark because there was no temple. Let us go into his tabernacle. Let us worship at his footstool, that is, at the footstool of God's throne. Arise, O Lord, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. The Sabbath day was a day of shouting for joy. And the presence of the people in the house of rest was an occasion for shouting for joy. And then again, a little bit later in that psalm, the Lord himself says, For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell for I have desired it. He chose Zion to be his resting place. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will also clothe her priests with salvation, and her saint shall shout aloud for joy. There I will make the horn of David grow. I will prepare a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame but upon himself his crown shall flourish. And that's a prophecy in part about Solomon, of course, but it is primarily a prophecy about our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the horn of David, the lamp God gave to David, the anointed of God among his people, who conquers their enemies, his enemies I will clothe with shame, who gives, who has a crown that flourishes, and who brings salvation and joy to his people. Christ is, therefore, the one who gives this rest in God's house of rest. Now, there's more here as well. When we look at uh, David's further preparations for the building of the temple at the end of 1 Chronicles, we find a couple of very interesting things. In 1 Chronicles 22, verse 9, look at what we read. David is talking now about what God told him. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. Solomon is a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies all around. His name shall be Solomon, that is, peace, closely associated with rest, for I will give peace and quietness to Israel in his days. And again, in verse 18 of that chapter, is not the Lord your God with you? He's here uh, talking to the leaders of Israel. And has he not given you rest on every side? For he has given the inhabitants of the land into my hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. And then again in First Chronicles 23, verse 25. For David said, The Lord God of Israel has given rest to his people, that they may dwell in Jerusalem forever. So Solomon was the man of rest. 
And he also was a type of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our man of rest. Christ gives to us rest. Rest from our work, rest from our enemies, and rest from our sins. And finally, of course, we have the fact that the temple itself is a new place of rest, a better place of rest than before. In 1 Chronicles 28, verse 2, Then King David rose to his feet and said, Here, my brethren and my people, I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God, and had made preparations to build it. But God said to me, You shall not build a house for my name, because you have been a man of war and have shed blood. So that temple then was the new house of rest. Now it's um, very interesting that that temple, though it was uh, for the most part a replica of the tabernacle, a permanent building rather than a tent, but nevertheless a replica of the tabernacle, did have one important new thing associated with it, at least one important new thing. And that new thing was that Israel began to sing in her worship of God. As God gave them a better house of rest in which to come, into which to come, so he gave them also a better and more glorious worship. There was no singing in the tabernacle. All the singing that Israel did followed the building of the temple in Jerusalem. David appointed the Levites to make up the Levitical choir, the instrumentalists, and the the people who sang in the temple. David wrote many psalms for the people of God to use in the temple. And and those who uh, were appointed by him also wrote psalms for this, the sons of Korah, and so on. And those who followed also wrote some of these psalms. Solomon wrote a couple of them as well. So God gave to his people a better worship in this better house of rest under the man of rest, King Solomon. And all of this points us also to our Lord Jesus Christ. We turn our attention now in the third place to the new covenant of God in our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ himself established this new covenant in Matthew 26, verse 28, as he was giving to his apostles the Lord's Supper. He said to them, when he gave them the cup, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And if you look especially at Hebrews chapters 7, 8, and 9, you can read in considerable detail about this new covenant of God in Christ. In this new covenant that God made with his people in Christ, we should notice first that he fulfilled the old covenants. He fulfilled the covenant with Abraham. 
He fulfilled the covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai. He fulfilled the covenant he made with Israel in Deuteronomy. He fulfilled the covenant he made with uh, David. And he fulfilled the covenant he made with Noah. Why? How can we see that? Well, we read, first of all, that he is the seed of Abraham and the seed of the woman. Gen, uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, that makes it very clear that the seed that God promised to Abraham was essentially Christ. Not Isaac, but Christ. Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is the fulfillment of all those bloody sacrifices in the Old Testament associated with the tabernacle and with Israel's entrance into God's resting place. He is the high priest and the sacrifice by whom we come into the house of rest. He is our Passover according to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He is the firstborn from the dead, the firstfruits of all uh, creation, the beginning of the new creation of God in Colossians chapter 1. He is the tabernacle. Remember what he said of his body. Uh, Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. He is the son of David and the son of Abraham. He is the man of rest. He is the cornerstone of the house of rest for God in the New Testament, God's church. So he fulfills all those covenants, and it is in him, then, that we have rest, that we receive that rest which was typified in the land of Canaan, which was typified also in the uh, new creation into which Noah and his family went as they departed from the ark, and so on. He fulfills rest for his people. So then the question is, if Christ is our rest, why the Sabbath day and why the change? Well, the Sabbath day, because we still do not have perfect rest. Christ has brought us rest, rest from our sins, rest from our enemies, rest from the curse that was pronounced on the ground and on our work in Genesis chapter 3. <clears throat> He's brought us rest from all these things, but it's not yet perfect. We, uh, God preserved the Sabbath day for us so that we may remember this promise of rest that we are still waiting for. And we celebrate it on the first day of the week because it was on that day that our Lord Jesus Christ entered into his rest. He did his work of redemption during the whole of his earthly ministry. And then he died. That was a part of that toil and work which he did. And he rose again from the dead. And in rising from the dead, he entered the holy place the heavenly sanctuary, that's in Hebrews chapter 9, 
and he entered, therefore, into the place of rest, his own great rest. But that was not on the seventh day, it was on the first day. And we, therefore, celebrate that rest that our Lord Jesus Christ entered into. We are no longer looking back to God's redemption of his people from Egypt. We remember that as a powerful reminder of what God has done for us in Christ, but we look primarily to Christ because he is our rest. Everything is fulfilled in him. And we focus, therefore, on him and on the Sabbath day renewed in him. And that's why the New Testament points us to the church worshiping on the first day of the week rather than the seventh day of the week, and why the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 1 speaks of the Lord's day, the first day of the week. But as I indicated already, we have this rest also imperfectly. Our Lord Jesus Christ has promised us a perfect rest. And we look forward to the perfection of rest in the new heavens and the new earth. Listen to what our Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Listen to the word of God also in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his. And finally, hear the word of God in Revelation 14, verse 13. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works follow them. So we look forward to a perfect rest in our Lord Jesus Christ. But while we look forward to that rest in Christ, we have a constant reminder of that rest in the first day Sabbath. The uh, weekly remembrance of our Lord Jesus Christ's entering into his rest, the heavenly sanctuary, and calling us to join him there on the Sabbath day in the company of the saints, among the firstborn from the dead, with the angels in glory, Hebrews chapter 12. And in fact, let's look at those verses in Hebrews chapter 12, because this is what the, the Sabbath day is all about. 
But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. May God bless you with his word and on his Sabbath days.